Good morning. I am not feeling good. So my immune system is like that. I'm going to take a seat. But um, if I have to abort mission, Josh is ready for that. So <laughs> we're going to do our best. We're, um, we're in the Psalms again. And I want us to begin by imagining, thinking of our daily routine from when we rise in the morning. Think of the first law that we consciously follow in our day. You could think broadly about this too. Like. Uh, legal, penal code, yeah, legal. This is mine. I know there are domestic violence laws, but I, we're, we're pretty good with that before we get out of the house. But this is my first law that I, um, I consciously have to follow in my day. Um, and I was thinking about it. And I want you to think of whatever is in your mind. Think about why it exists, who it protects, and how it makes you a better person. <laughs> um, this is pretty obvious. This protects little preschoolers that walk across this crosswalk to get to their school. Protects kids walking to Clifton Middle School. Get that way. All these cars rushing down Foothill. What, Pat? And it protects everybody. Because I'm a rolling stop kind of person, so this is, this is the first law. Um, so think about your law in your head. Um, who does it protect? And maybe we could call that meditating on a law. We've paused. We've given thought. We've considered. And um, that's kind of what we do in the Psalms today. Um, Psalm 1 is the first psalm in the book. It is an introduction. It goes along with Psalm 2, but um, we're going to be in Psalm 1 only today. Um, when Josh opened the season for us in the psalms, he talked about each psalm being um, a, po a poem of orientation, or of disorientation, or of reorientation. So whether you call it a poem, or a prayer, or a song, um, these are the different types we find. Psalm 1 is a, is a psalm of orientation. Uh, the writer writes with conviction, and um, the writer writes uh, with deci decisiveness, um, knowing what God is, is doing and how humans can respond. Um, we're going to read it together. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and all they do they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I was triggered by the first word in the first psalm of, the, of this big book, happy. And happy is a really interesting topic in North America because 
We've all kind of heard of like happiness studies and stuff. I looked some of this up this week. I also realized this, this could be interpreted, uh, there's two translations. Blessed is one, happy is another. We're going with happy because it triggers us, I think, and it needs to. Um, in the modern world, in recent years, there has emerged an academic discipline with the social sciences is called happiness studies. And there is a new journal of happiness studies, an interdisciplinary forum of subjective well-being. As the word subjective in the title of the journal suggests, happiness scholars are interested in what people think and feel about various aspects of their lives. Their income level, their relationships, their health, career, and so on. Notice in the psalm that none of these things are mentioned with the writer. With happy, throughout the psalms, none of this is really mentioned. Um, there is no relationship status, health and wellness, career goals, etc. In the psalms, the primary subject of happy is God. Nor does the writer of this psalm mention his or her feelings, desires, or accomplishments. It doesn't mention self-knowledge, self-indulgence, but the subject, again, is God. Um, it's very distinguished here for the people of God that this writer is finding happiness by meditating, by prayer, by connectedness with God. Um, so when we think about meditating on the law, um, I react a little bit to that. I think if you're like me, you react, maybe because I immediately associate it with law enforcement. This brings up all sorts of negative realities for us and for others we love. Legalism, retribution, rules and doctrines, endless controversy about law and the interpretation of law and law enforcement itself. Brutality, injustice, broken, oppressive systems. But law here in this psalm actually means Torah. Um, Torah is the teaching or the instruction of God for God's people. And Torah explicitly is the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, um, the book of Moses, it's called. Um, it's a narrative. So law cannot be extracted from this book without the narrative. Um, it's important for us to know that the law expressed in Psalm 1 cannot be reduced to a mechanical process of following a set of rules for which one is duly rewarded. Instead, law is a process that involves multiple stories over multiple generations of divine action and human response. So over the last couple of months, I've been kind of meditating on this psalm to prepare for this moment. And <laughs> this was a practice for me. Um, it's, I was pulled into some of the action words in this psalm, in this prayer. Um, the first one is follow. Follow is a hot word in our modern world also. Everyone follows a bunch of people and it's like blah, 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 scrolling, cycling, recycling, blah, following. And then that hit me and then sit. I asked like a question of like, who do we sit with? Um, who do I sit with? 
Which path do I take when given an opportunity? Where do I walk? Um, and delight is an action word in this psalm. Um, as I considered the Torah, delighting, meditating in the law, um, the instruction and teaching in the Torah was only given within the narrative and in within the stories which it was held. As a Gentile Christian, reading the Torah, I think, man, the Torah is just chaos. If you read from beginning to end, it is a chaotic, interesting, <laughs> just like mind-blowing piece of literature or pieces of literature. Um, the Torah is story after story of sin contaminating creation. And a few people here and there listening to God as God establishes God's covenant with the Hebrew people. So my imagination of the Torah went a lot to right here. This is like a moment after the Exodus. Um, the people have been liberated from slavery. The Hebrew people had been enslaved in Egypt. The story of the Exodus is all about God liberating them, bringing them out of freedom, out to freedom, and here they are as refugees in the wilderness. But back in Egypt, the empire had systematically ordered their every way of life. The world was arranged by their oppressors. And that was the created order for the Hebrew people as slaves. So they're coming out of this order. They're free now. Freedom looks like chaos, because <laughs> that terrifies me. It's like a music festival or something <laughs> gone wrong. Um, there are a few of those out there. <laughs> um, so the question becomes, in these moments for the Hebrew people, how now are they going to order themselves? And I can imagine some of these people saying, like, uh, a little help, please. <laughs> a little help over here, because that is, that is, that's intense right there. I don't like crowds, if you haven't caught on. It's just, it's just overwhelming. Um, Imagine being here in these crowds, having been liberated. I, I don't think we can imagine this, but I want us to try. I, um, it's a struggle. Trying to survive. Maybe you're there in that crowd somewhere. Maybe you're nursing your baby. Maybe you really want to get to work and build something. Maybe you're trying to grow plants, trying to find food. Maybe you still have missing family members or are grieving the dead coming out of slavery. Maybe you have to, to still attend to your own injuries or wounds from slavery. Maybe you have post-traumatic stress or you have been numbed by the chaos of fleeing out of Egypt. 
Maybe you're just glad to be free and you've made a fire and you want to find a place to sleep. And then there's all these other people with the same or similar or very different experiences of, of liberation. And these are human beings. So there is greed, there is competition, misinformation, chaos, chronic illness, birth, death. This is a culture where sacrifice is still normal. People still paid very close attention to details and rituals. And there are probably always clashes and controversy about how things should be done. When there is struggle for power, there is violence. The weak get pushed out and those who are too much of a burden on society get pushed to the margins. This is just how human groups are. So God gives us instructions. God gives the people instructions. In godly play, where our children worship, um, we call these the 10 best ways. I'm using one example from a great big Torah, but I'm, I'm, we're looking at the law, the 10 best ways this morning. Um, because I think this is familiar enough with us that we can, um, that was different, that we can consider what it's like to meditate on God's laws. Um, Israel, or the Jewish people have seen Torah as a blessing. And I know that Many of us see Torah more as like judgment, like super, like this divine unrest, and then the people's response. And the, I mean, the people back here, they, um, within, I don't know how many days it was, but they built that calf so fast, Moses hadn't even come back down the mountain yet. And that calf was there. And so the, the, <laughs> the imagination for what, sort of instruction would come from God in these moments. Um, I want us to be blessed by it this morning. So these are the 10 best ways. And just like I did in the beginning, I want us to consider um, a few questions about them. Who do these commandments protect? And I'm not really looking for an answer. If you want to answer, that's fine. If something comes to your mind, um, it's fine. I'm, I'm kind of just prompting us in our thought. How might the writer of the psalm have been blessed by these? By these instructions. When we consider the opposite, the opposites of these instructions, who is unprotected? How are we cultivating a community? How do we do this? without this instruction.
do these commandments transform us? Whether we're free or enslaved, how do they transform a human being who wants to respond to the divine love? And as Christians, most of us Gentile Christians, how does the fulfillment of the law by the teachings of Christ, how does that bring connectedness in order to bless us and instruct us? So I tried what the psalmist did in Psalm 1. I tried to meditate on the law a bit (laughs) over the last few weeks. Um, And for me as a Christian, praying this psalm helped me give some expression to my joy. It seems like wicked people are going to keep choosing wicked things. And there's free will in this psalm. This prayer is a prayer with free will. Um, But I rested in a sense of belonging. And I was able to view the law with gratitude this time around. Noticing that these ways can bring about peace and harmony with my neighbors. When we consider how these ways help us cultivate community, we are given vitality and connection to those in the world around us. About a week and a half ago, I had a very unique experience. <laughs> I, Because of my immune system and all the stuff I'm working through, I tried for the first time in my life to do a 72-hour liquid fast. And this was with the guidance of my doctor. (laughs) Um, Never done that before successfully. Uh, Very, very difficult. (laughs) The first day was like, I'm going to do this. I'm committed. I've got conviction. I need to do this. This is going to make me better. And I'm going to make it a spiritual practice. It's going to be like, I'm going to be like praying. I'm going to be like texting Misty. And she's giving me these prayers because she's done this before. It was like totally ideal, right? (laughs) Get to day number two, I am like "Ah," in the fetal position with a fever. And I think I had something else too, uh, maybe a cold from one of my kids. But what I learned in day two was I'm so used to consuming food and to preparing food and to sharing food. That's just such a big part of my life that when there's no food to share and have and eat, I have to consume something else. And I, it it just didn't even 
cross my mind until I was in it. I, I was like quadrupled my screen time. Um, I was, the kids were at school, so I was like, I had all this time to myself. It was just consumption, consumption, consumption of like junk screen time. Like not even like, let's read more about the Torah or something. Just like junk, junk, junk. And I wanted to buy things. I wanted, I, I would read advertisement. I would just like click on, you know, like it's just like it's never ending. And I'm usually very disciplined about that. And I realized day two, I just consumed crap. And it was like really disorienting. And I was very depressed, obviously, <laughs> spend the whole day. And um, the first thing I actually did that day, even though I was not feeling great, was um, I had committed to taking the No family a meal in Pasadena. And I was going to cook them a meal. But um, I could have. <laughs> didn't make that choice. So I picked up a meal and I took it to them and um, entered their space and their own suffering where they were at that week. And I realized I was much happier in that moment, not only seeing other human beings and connecting like face to face, but even just the details of like finding their address and putting the meal together and the human exchange and then listening to them. The happiness meter that day from like just like self-consumption and self-pity to like being with others was just, and this sounds like a cliche, right? Because we, we, we tackle this all the time. We know, we know. Um, day three on this little experiment was like back to, it wasn't really spiritual anymore. It, was, it definitely wasn't consumptive. It was just like, I'm in the fetal position. No one talked to me. <laughs> I just want to get through this day. And um, it was that. It was very ordinary and, and quite lonely. But it was a human experience that kind of propelled me into, like, consideration of, of what is ideal and then what is like real. The details of my day had to be taken care of. I had to drink water. I had to do those things to take care of myself. And I had to do my best to not consume. Because consumption is so easy even when we can't consume food. It's just like, it's our way of being. Um, so this was all part of like me trying to meditate on, on the law of God. Like, and I think, I mean, if, you're gonna, if we're going to get explicit about it, the covet part, I'm like, man, no North American Christian, whoever, like, none of us are righteous. Like, absolutely none of us follow the law. So, ah, that's me meditating on the law. But... I do have to say, um, the grace of God covers us. I found this beautiful painting. Oh, look. Oh, you know what? I looked at the World Happiness Report. And one of their statements on their website is so obvious, but it, it struck me. Instead of focusing on what we actually need, we have an unfortunate tendency to focus on what other people have. And that is 
we have all heard that. That's nothing special. We're, I'm not special because I found this quote online. But I swear, over and over and over again, we are faced with that, just that momentum to consume more. And for me on that day, it happened to be, you know, online. Um, the World Happiness Report of 2018, that is, um, there is a section devoted to American public health epidemics, and one of those epidemics is depression. Alternatively, <clears throat> in the Torah, God is attentive to what the people need. Yes, chaos everywhere, but God saw the faith of his people and attributed that faith as righteousness. No one can meet the standards of the law. We are constantly conflicted with how to order and how to reorder our world. We have too many choices. We are exposed to too much. And so much of what we are exposed to doesn't even matter. What if, instead of coveting, we considered the ordinary details of our own lives and how they are connected to the lives of others, how they are shared with the lives of others? I found this painting, and I'm not sure you can see the details. Um, it's kind of an imagination of the same thing, of the people of God in the wilderness, but um, with a Christian perspective of Christ with us, among us, holding us. Um, I liked, it looks like Moses in the corner, like down below with his um, tablet, stone tablets. I liked it. I liked this painting, and it brought me a sense of peace. Um, as someone who follows Christ, it brought me a sense of peace. It made me feel like I can meditate on the instructions of God and find it as a blessing. So I kind of, I, I think, leaving us with the action verbs, um, the action words in the psalm, who are we following? Or where are we here? Who do we follow? Who do we sit with? Where am I walking? What are the details? Those beautiful details, or those chaotic details. And what do we get to delight in? The hardest part for me, I'll say in this experiment, was realizing that my life often looks more like a life lived in Egypt, rather than the wilderness as a dependent on God. And I don't know what to do with that. I really don't. But Christ still holds me, as he holds the Egyptians. Somebody asked me recently, random, for a picture of our church. It was for some like public endorsement thing. And I'm like, we don't like who sits around and takes pictures of the whole church? Like everyone in the church. And but then Tamara turned 40, and we had a lot of church people together. And I found she she shared this. <laughs> and 
these are jazz hands because it was a dance party. Um, but this made me, this blessed me because she shared it. And she invited all of you, so don't get all mopey if you weren't there because she, she was like, everyone is welcome to my party. Um, but So this isn't the whole church, but it is a picture. And uh, I was just thinking about it, like, we're a group of people, mostly Gentile Christians, following the way, trying to walk together in the way of Christ. And um, by the grace of God, this is who we are. Walter Brueggemann says, and I have this up here just as an image to prompt a community. Psalm 1 as an introduction to an entire collection of prayers, urges a lifestyle that finds its source in the creator. The psalm speaks of a life as a path or way, and of divine instruction as nourishment for the way. Much of its instruction is on prayer, a central aspect of the path of faith. The psalms that that the psalms that follow will portray prayer as an honest dialogue of faith carried on in the community that worships God. And I think from day one, we've been honest dialogue about faith. Thank you, Josh and Ari, for leading us from day one. Um, We've been honest about our dialogue of faith, and we've enjoyed the community that God has given us. Um, and we're going to head to the, to the table together. And as we do this, I want, I want us to consider another community that, that God has given us. Um, this is some folks from Cristo Es Nuestra Roca. They're a Spanish-speaking congregation that worships in this space at 3 o'clock on Sundays. And as a community of God, we share space with this community of God and... We are one church, one people, but very different in our language and in our culture. And Christo Esnerestra has invited us to lunch next week to join them for a meal. Um, They want to say thank you for sharing our space. And we want to accept the invitation and be, be hospitable in receiving hospitality. A lot of us are super awesome at hospitality and a lot of us don't always receive hospitality. (laughs) And we wanna do this with this church. They're our neighbors and our friends and we've journeyed with them for a very long time. Um, We've got all sorts of stories from their congregation and we are better by friendship with this church. I am better by knowing Pastor Cecilia and having friendship with her. So if you're able, and I mention this right now because we're headed to a table together to have Eucharist, but if you're able next week to follow worship by joining us for lunch, um, they would love to have you. And please talk to me if if you can do that with us. And um, as we come to the table today, we're going to consider all believers at the table as a blessed people, blessed by the Torah, blessed by the coming of Christ, by the fulfillment of the law, 
by the law of love, which is to love neighbors as ourselves.